0: This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment.
1: Good morning, everyone. This is Leslie Bruce, the Director of Healthcare Leadership and Community Outreach for UC San Diego Extension welcoming you to The Pulse, Issues in Healthcare, the online interactive radio show. Listeners, you know we're in this together, so please help me make this a great interview by letting us know what's on your mind. Type your questions into the text chat box, and we will get to those later in the show. Our guest today is Stan Collins, who has worked in the suicide prevention field for over 14 years, He has presented or provided training to more than half a million adults, half a million adults and youth on the subject of suicide prevention. And in 2001, he testified before a Senate subcommittee on the topic of youth suicide. He currently works as a consultant focusing on technical assistance in creation and implementation of suicide prevention curricula and strategies. He's the author of the San Diego County Suicide Prevention Gatekeeper Training for First Responders and co-author of the Know the Signs Training Resource Guide for Suicide Prevention in Primary Care. That's a mouthful for for a, a, a very important topic. So welcome, Stan.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: First, tell us how you came to work in this field. I mean, this is not something people grow up wanting to be. How did you end up working in this space?
0: Yeah, um, if you would to ask me, you know, 20 years ago what I wanted to be when I grow up, I would have never pictured this. But um, it wasn't necessarily of my choosing. I'm a native San Diego, and I grew up and went to Poway High School. And my freshman year, I lost one of my best friends to suicide. And uh, my older brother and his older brother were best friends, and he was somebody who always looked out for me. And I remember coming home from school one day, and my brother was walking towards me, and I could see that he had tears in his eyes. And my older brother's a tough guy. I've never seen him cry any other time. So I knew something bad had happened, and he came up to me, and he told me that Jesse had taken his life that afternoon. And I remember just putting my head between my knees and crying for probably hours because I had so many different emotions coming out. I was angry. I was confused. I felt guilty. I, I felt ashamed. I had just seen him a couple hours before. Mm-hmm. You know, If I was a good friend like I thought I was, why wasn't I there for him? Why didn't I see something? And so – um I was left to deal with those issues and left to deal with a lot of silence and awkwardness. And a few years later, my, my father, who's a former law enforcement officer, took me to a, a presentation from the Yellow Ribbon Suicide Prevention Program. And that was the first time that I'd heard prevention attached to the word suicide. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't know that people were out there talking about this. And I walked away from that presentation thinking, man, if someone had taken just a little bit of time to educate me about what to look out for and more importantly, what to do, mm-hmm. that maybe I could have stepped in and saved Jesse. So um, since then, I've spent my whole life trying to get this information out to people.
1: I, it's incredible. And and how did you develop this expertise beyond that experience?
0: You know, it just kind of happened organically. Um, coincidentally, my experience and my interest in suicide prevention correlated with the, the national interest in suicide prevention. I graduated in 1999. And in that same year, the sur- past Surgeon General uh, David Satcher released his call to action which declared suicide uh, a public health problem in America. And it was the first time that federal funding started going towards suicide prevention. Uh, since then, we've had the national strategy come out. And in 2008, California d- debuted their, their Suicide Prevention Action Plan. And in 2011, San Diego County did theirs. So it's just been organic that at the same time that I've been working in this field, a lot of light has been finally shown on it.
1: So um, in your higher education, did you, you know, enhance your understanding through college or anything like that?
0: You know, I actually went to school to be a high school history teacher, and oh I God. was interning with the Suicide Prevention Program. And uh, after I graduated, I went to work with them as a youth coordinator. And um, it's just, you know, I, I always joke with people, I have a master's uh, from the School of Hard Knocks that, you know, I've mm-hmm. just spent all this time. I, I'm, and I, But I think it's also important because... A lot of times people assume that I'm a psychologist or I'm a therapist, and um, even though I'm an expert in suicide prevention, I don't have any of those degrees. And to, to, to make a difference in suicide prevention, you don't have to be a psychologist. You just have to, to really pay attention and, and know, know what to do.
1: Well, let's talk more then about the problem. Um, as you say, there's been a, a, a greater focus on it, a greater understanding that it is, in fact, a public health problem and a big one. Um, and um, obviously, Robin Williams' suicide has caused a, a renewed focus, I think. I, are you finding that?
0: Yeah, there's definitely been more conversation since the, since the death of Mr. Williams. Um, the good news from that is that people are also becoming more familiar with resources based on that because a lot of the coverage, media coverage of his death uh, was, was appropriate in that it, uh, it listed warning signs and it listed information on resources, access and crisis lines and such.
1: That's helpful. I I would love to hear about what these resources are. I know, um, you know, we're talking about suicide more, which is, from my understanding, is a good thing. Um, but there are ways to talk about it that are actually helpful and ways to talk about it that aren't. So tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so the the suicide prevention community is trying to clarify ways that, for one, that we refer to actions related to suicide, but also on a big picture how media talks about suicide. So on a day-to-day level, um, we're trying to get folks to get away from the term commit suicide, because if you think of other actions that you commit you're typically talking about crime and sin which has a negative connotation so rather than saying commit uh we're preferring people use the term died by suicide or took their own life um also you might have heard the phrase successful suicide attempt but a successful attempt means the person has died so there's no success in it so mm-hmm. try to clarify whether it's either com- you know a completed suicide a death by suicide or an attempted suicide and then for the larger picture. Um, the way that we frame the issue, we have to be careful. A lot of times when you hear reports of suicide in the media, it seemed they portrayed as this inexplicable thing that happened. As with Robin Williams, mm-hmm. no one could imagine why he would have done this. But then you, you pull back the layers a little bit and you find out that there was a history of substance abuse, mo- possibly a met- mental illness diagnosis. Um, but then also one of the risk factors being a, a diagnosis of a serious or terminal illness, which we saw with his diagnosis of Parkinson's. So it wasn't inexplicable once Mm -hmm. you really look at it. Um, You know, but suicide is a complex issue and there's a lot of pieces that you want to examine. Um, Another piece that we want to be careful with is how we portray statistics related to suicide. in the past, when I first started working in suicide prevention, we really we used statistics to try to get people to pay attention and realize that it's a problem. Now, for the most part, people agree that it's a problem, and so we've shifted our focus so that we, instead of just focusing on the problem, we want to be focusing on the solutions. Instead of just letting people know how many f- folks die by suicide every year, let people know how, how much people are using the resources. For example, last year there was over a million calls to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline from California. That's great news. Wow. That means people are, are using the resources available to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's very helpful. I, I think um, why do you think, w- you know, where people are c- reaching this point where they either act on these desires or they even feel them? And, and, and thank heaven they call the suicide prevention hotlines.
0: Uh, well, again, suicide is a complex issue. And there's. Some common warning signs that people can pay attention to, and some common risk factors, um, such as breakup of a romance, uh, mm-hmm. death of a loved one, especially if that death is by suicide, um, financial struggles. But what we're really looking at is situations in a person's life that cause overwhelming stress mm-hmm. and unfortunately we we get bombarded with the stresses of life sometimes and we we think we have it covered and then all of a sudden there's a straw that breaks the camel's back so a lot of times unfortunately we will point to one thing being the cause of suicide oh well well bullying causes suicide or ptsd causes suicide but when you look around a little bit more you'll find out that there's other factors you know Mm. and it sometimes we draw too close of a link between points a and b so rather than saying that bullying causes suicide um, I would say that bullying causes anxiety, which left diagno- undiagnosed or untreated could lead to depression, which leads to hopelessness, which can then lead to suicide so there's you know m- there 's more steps in between uh, for us to step in and intervene
1: that 's interesting so um, I understand that San Diego has some rising numbers in suicide, but there are enormous efforts underway to address that. Can you tell us a little bit about those?
0: Yeah, correct. Unfortunately, we, we have seen um, higher rates over the past few years here in San Diego. Um, but San Diego County is actually really leading the charge in California um, in, in many of our efforts. For one, we were the first county to create a suicide prevention action plan. Um, we have three big efforts going on. One is a school-based grant where San Diego Youth Services is going into schools and educating youth about suicide prevention. Uh, we also have the Up to Us media campaign. I've where, seen that, yes. Yeah, the, the website is great. It provides information on warning signs and risk factors and resources. And then we also have a grant from the county which has been instrumental in our success, which is the creation of the Suicide Prevention Council, which was part of our, our county plan. And through the Suicide Prevention Council, we're going out, we're giving gatekeeper trainings, we're educating folks about what to do. Uh, we're bringing groups together. We We have a media subcommittee, a schools uh, committee, uh, a data and analysis. One thing we need to look at is, you know, what is the data? And we're fortunate in San Diego uh, to have Dr. Joshua Smith, who who really keeps our data up to date so we can know where we need to focus our efforts.
1: Okay. Well, well, tell us a little bit more about this gatekeeper training.
0: Okay, great. It's called uh, QPR, which stands for question, persuade, and refer. It's a one-hour gatekeeper training. And in that training, we cover topics. We look at the overall issue of suicide, and we look at the warning signs and and risk factors or life situations that that are correlated to suicide. But we spend a a big portion of the time on the conversation piece. You know, what do you say to somebody? And not just knowing what to say. So this is
1: for lay people, in other words, to understand what to do, how to recognize the signs, and then do something. And they don't have to be a, a mental health professional to to do this. Is that that right?
0: Absolutely. This is for the average person. And in a lot of ways, I compare it to CPR. I'm a former Uh EMT lifeguard. And so there's a, a lot of similarities there where if you think about how CPR works, your job is not to you know, perform CPR and then perform surgery on the person. Your job is to keep that person alive until you get them connected to somebody who knows more. And that's the same thing that this gatekeeper training does. And in reality, what are you more likely to need in your life? To help someone through a mental health crisis or have to do CPR on a person? We experience mental health crisis throughout our lives. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's absolutely for the, the average lay person out there. Um, okay. And it just gives them a little more comfort with the subject and, and helps them connect others that they care about to help.
1: So you do the, and and why is it called gatekeeper? I'm curious.
0: Because the training is intended for folks to be the gatekeeper to help. So if you needed help, I would be your gatekeeper and that I would be there to support you. Find out, you know, what your intentions are, what your thoughts are, and then find out what you need. And so I would be your gatekeeper to open up the door to the help that you need. Because sometimes when we're struggling, we don't have the perspective to know what it is that we need and what we need to do. And so it's for the helper of the person who's in need.
1: Okay. So um, go back to QPR, if you would, and give me a little more about what that training entails and and how it, you know, who you think it's for.
0: Um, you know, it's for it's. For for anyone who uh, wants to be supportive of their friends and family, um, whether or not you think you've had um, or have had issues of suicide o- occur in your life, um, all of us need to be prepared for those times. So we do a lot of trainings with school personnel so that they can work with youth. Um, we do trainings with, you know, we do trainings with professionals, law enforcement, medical providers. But it's it's really intended to familiarize folks with the warning signs such as hopelessness and isolation withdrawal. Um, be familiar with the, the risk factors associated with suicide, such as that we mentioned earlier, but it's really to get comfortable in asking the question. Because what I find is that a lot of times suicides could be prevented by simply having conversations. You know, for mm-hmm. so long we've been told, don't talk about suicide, you're going to cause it to happen. But the only way you can prevent anything, whether we're talking about car accidents, global warming, or suicide, is to have a conversation. So I think the most important thing that people walk away from is knowing that. If you're worried about somebody, that it's okay to ask directly, are you thinking about suicide?
1: I, I think that's terrific. I think that I love the idea, just like CPR, anybody can take it. Anybody can it can help, you know, to a certain degree. Absolutely. And it may save a life that um, it seems like it would be good that if we were acculturated that everybody was trained in this that that would be enormously beneficial
0: i i would think so i i mean if every person walking down the street knew how to respond to somebody in a mental health crisis it would be phenomenal um you know and a lot of times i think that when we're talking about mental health we don't understand that mental health is more than just not having a mental illness it's how do you deal with the stress how do you support the people in your life and just by by having that information um You know, the the mental health professionals can't do anything unless the friends and family help that person get to them in the first place. And so QPR really helps to raise that comfort level and helps those people be that first responder um, because they're going to have more access to warning signs and risk factors and to know what's going on in the person's life. So as a friend or family member, even if you have no qualifications as a mental health provider, you're going to have access to better information so you Mm -hmm. can get the process started.
1: Well, that's tremendous, I think you know being at the right place at the right time is everything
0: absolutely um
1: so to to train the layperson, I think is absolutely where we need to be to make make um, strides in this area. Um, another question that I was wondering about is the is these warning signs I know we've talked about some of them, and one of our one of our listeners is also asking um you you talk about you know hopelessness anxiety stress loss of a a loved one, that kind of thing. Is there some place that you can go and read a list of these uh, risk factors?
0: Yeah, there's two websites. One of them is listed on on the screen here, up to the number two, sd.org. You Mm -hmm. can get a list of warning signs and risk factors. Also, there's a website, suicideispreventable.org, list the same warning signs and risk factors. Um, one of the biggest ones, though, is when someone's talking about wanting to die. Um, and that doesn't always mean that they're going to be talking about wanting to end their lives, um, but saying things like, oh, well, people would be better off without me or I'm mm-hmm. a burden in people's lives, which are a little more subtle, and a little more indirect. Mm-hmm. And so we might kind of dismiss them. Um, also, one thing that we we need to let people know is that whether it's in person, whether it's over the phone or whether it's through social media, like Facebook, you know, if someone walked into this, into this room right now and said, I don't want to live, we would both know that we need to be concerned. But Mm -hmm. maybe if one of our friends posted on Facebook, I don't see the point in being around anymore. We might hesitate and say, Oh, they probably don't mean that. But warning signs through social media are just as important to pay attention to. Oh, that's Um, interesting. But also someone who's looking for a means to harm themselves, someone who's, Um, overall just acting hopeless. But, you know, any change in behavior, what I try to tell people is to trust your instincts, that you may not be an expert in suicide prevention, but we're all experts in people. You've been around people your whole life, and if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not right. And the only way you're going to know is by asking the question directly. And if I'm, let's say, for example, I'm thinking about suicide. If you're my friend and you come to me and say, hey, Stan, I know you've been going through a hard time, Sometimes when people are dealing with what you're dealing with, they think about suicide. Are you thinking about suicide? What you've done is you've taken all the pressure off of me. All I have to do now is say yes or no. Mm -hmm. And what's the worst case scenario? I say no, and you're relieved that, you Mm -hmm. know, that that. And I also know now that if I ever do have those thoughts, it's okay to come back to you and talk to you about it. But if the answer is yes, then we can get the process started and, and get that person some help.
1: That's very interesting, and normally you'd not even dream of putting it out there because you would be afraid that you were planting the thought.
0: Yeah, and there's a a bunch of research out there that shows that talking about suicide does not cause suicide. Oh, that's Um, helpful. It actually reduces people's feelings of isolation. And, And it's important to be direct, too, to not beat around the bush and say, are you thinking about harming yourself or hurting yourself? They've actually done studies where they go back and ask people who have attempted suicide. If someone would have asked you, are you thinking about hurting yourself, to the people what they're, you know, suicide's not about death. It's about wanting to end the pain. So in their minds, they're not hurting themselves. So mm. you want to be direct. And also it shows that you're comfortable with the subject matter. And just be direct and say, hey, are you thinking about suicide? And if you are, we need to talk about that.
1: Oh, well, that's uh, very helpful. I'm, uh, it's a new way of looking at things, that's for sure. So attacking the problem as a public health problem, which, of course, it is, and that means, you know, more than one event, um, with us, with San Diego being on the cutting edge with its suicide prevention action plan, what does that plan say? What is being done, are, and what are we measuring exactly?
0: Well, it, it does a few things. For one, it consolidates everything um, so that we know what we're looking at. We, it, you know, we looked at the problem. One of the the biggest pieces is having that data available. And I mentioned this earlier. We're fortunate that we have our own epidemiologist here in San Diego, so that we're getting data for 2013 and in early 2014. So having that system for data created. Um, the, the plan also called, as I mentioned earlier, the cre- for the creation of the Suicide Prevention Council. And so what that is, is it's a group of organizations and community members coming together to address this problem. So we have folks from the military, from public health, from mental health, from nonprofits, from community-based organizations coming together and looking at it. And then also um, the school-based grant that I addressed earlier where thousands of kids in San Diego each year are being educated. And mm-hmm. I, I really, truly believe that if you can get to somebody at a young age and and clarify some of those misconceptions, that, that we're going to do a lot better job when they're adults and they're already prepared with that information. Um, unfortunately, about 50 percent of me- of severe mental illness appears by 14, the age Mm. 14, about three-quarters by age 24. Mm. But typically there's years or or decades even of delay before that person gets the appropriate help. So the more we can get information to folks at younger and younger ages, I think, the more we can save ourselves from some trouble down the road.
1: That is so true. And and so many things, especially related to help, is getting to kids early. And so that, you, you know, we can prevent all sorts of things that we you know, and we do, we end up having to deal with when they're adults.
0: Yeah, and, and working with youth, I spend a lot of my time working with youth, and one of the best things about them is that for adults, sometimes they need to have a story before they'll become passionate or open to hearing about the subject. And with youth, they look at, you know, they hear my story, and they realize, I don't want to have a story. So if if you give me this information and I pay attention, I'm actually less likely to have a story like yours, that's great. Give me mm-hmm. the information. So they're very much interested in seeking it.
1: Well, that's that's very helpful, and it's um, it's important that we have new tools and new approaches because obviously the the situation hasn't been getting better, and we need I think fresh approaches. And I, I like the idea of making it part of everyone's education, not just mental health professionals. Um, I want to go to some um, listener questions, which are coming in rapidly. Uh, Here's one from Kristen who asked, if you think someone is at risk of suicide, it can be very uncomfortable. What do you say to them? And I think you alluded to that a bit.
0: Um, You know, one thing that I try to encourage people to remember is because a lot of times we're so worried about saying the wrong thing. What if I say the wrong thing? I don't want to push them in the wrong direction, when in reality, it's very difficult to say the wrong thing if you're coming from a place of compassion and empathy. Um, you know, one thing you don't want to do is dismiss whatever it is that's causing them to think about suicide and just say, oh, it's not a big deal, um, you know, you'll get over oh, it. Good or to know. You know, we get a lot of those clichés from sure. our parents growing up, oh, time heals all wounds and mm-hmm. plenty of fish in the sea. It'll and just you, make you stronger, yeah, honey. And you you, know. you want to avoid those. You want to mm-hmm. give legitimacy to whatever that person is experiencing. Um, and then you really, you know, is just listen. Just be quiet and listen and really pay attention. And, um, you know, one thing I've learned to avoid saying is instead of saying, oh, I know exactly what you're going through, because we never know exactly what someone's going through is, you know what, I can't imagine how hard this must be for you, Empathy. but I want to learn, so please tell me more. And then, you know, just pay attention, listen, um, and then, again, be direct mm-hmm. and let the person know, okay, are you thinking about suicide? And if the answer is yes, asking them, okay, do you have a plan? Because if someone has a plan, they're they're going to be in a, ho- a lot higher risk. Uh, one thing that's great is we have uh, San Diego County Access and Crisis Line. It's twenty four seven. The number I believe is on the on the site eight 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 seven twenty four seven twenty four zero.
1: Yeah,
0: um, but what's, it's on
1: our it's on the slide for our listeners.
0: Um, but you can call that number anytime, day or night, and you don't have to be the person in crisis. If you're the helper of someone in crisis, and you find out or you need some coaching before you have that conversation, or after you have that conversation, you're not sure what to do. You can call that hotline speak to a mental health professional and they you get your own free coach to help you through the situation so um, that's another great resource
1: uh, very helpful I, I w- speaking of mental health professionals you know we've had many guests in here who tell us that you know the, the biggest need they have in their community clinic their hospital system their whatever it is is a, a lack of health of mental health professionals to meet the demand. What are you seeing out there, and what do we as educational institutions need to be doing to create the, you know the proper um, professionals to help us with these issues?
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a lack of interest in the field. I think there's a lot of folks going into the mental health field. What we need to do is find a way for there to be more funding for there to be more of those mental health professionals. You know, unfortunately, for example, in our schools, a lot of school psychologists and school counselors have been losing their jobs over the, the mm-hmm. past year because of budget cuts. Right. Um, but that's a key place where we need to have mental health professionals. So I think part of it is, I th- and I think California has done a, a fairly good job so far of of leading the way, but we still have a lot of work to do. So I think it really starts with with having those positions created and getting, um, you know, we're, we're seeing some changes right now with the uh, affordable health care Um, Mm -hmm. Act act, um, and the integration of behavioral health and physical health and a lot of our yeah, and the parity. So we're making strides, but I think it's important for us to keep having these conversations about, you know, what, why aren't, why aren't there more resources? Mm Because I think sometimes we separate our mental health from our physical health too much. And your brain is an organ in your body. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if your back hurts, but you have depression, you're probably not going to get you know, have the motivation to work on your back if you're dealing with mental health issues. So they go hand in hand.
1: Absolutely. And amen to that. I think that's a, an excellent point. Um, I, one of the things, we're we talking about the resources needed for this and new approaches, and I was very fascinated to to read about the Directing Change Student Film Festival, and that's a whole different approach that I think um, our audience might like to hear about.
0: Yeah, the website is directingchange.org. And so what that is is it's a statewide uh, video contest film contest where high school students or university of california students make 60 second films about either mental health ending the silence of mental illness or suicide prevention and so those films incorporate safe messaging guidelines that are shared um, that we share with the media um, but they just make these amazing films with just such great perspective because it's one thing to have an adult make a video focused on youth right it's a whole nother thing to have a youth or a young adult make a film for other youth and young adults but the the intricacy and the quality of the films never ceases to amaze me
1: and so uh, how many submissions do you get
0: um well this is we're going into our third year of the contest each year we've received about 400 to 450 submissions so in total we're almost up to a thousand videos over the last two years and uh, you can actually go to the website and download the films and use them in your activities Um, but the the films and then what is One. it
1: a, a you said a contest so are there is there a first place and some kind of Yeah, a, we oh.
0: we split the the state up into regions and then high school students are awarded g- regionally and then the UCs all compete against each other. Uh the deadline for submissions is February 1st. Um but yeah, we do ar- Oh, right ar- around the corner. Right around the corner, um we do a, a an award ceremony in Sacramento every year to wow. to honor and recognize the youth and um we try to do some regional screenings as well to get these films out there because they're a great resource to start the conversation and to let people know that when we're we're talking about this issue, we're talking about suicide prevention. With mm-hmm. prevention in big bold words, we're not just focusing on the problem; we want to focus on the solution. solution.
1: Well, I'm all about that. I, you know, and speaking of solutions, I think this is certainly a creative one. I, I, I think you know given the the need for youth to talk to youth are there any other um, resources that we should know about any other approaches that give us hope that we're getting a handle on this
0: um well i mean in regards to resources um uh, I mentioned earlier that we have the 24-hour access and crisis line. Um, not everyone is going to be comfortable picking up a phone and calling an access or crisis line. Um, so they also have chat services now where you can get online and chat with somebody. So maybe that's, um, uh, you know, more comfortable for someone to be able mm-hmm. to reach out and access that help. Um, but overall, I think it's just that we're starting to ha- continuing to have these conversations where we're no longer – hiding suicide in a closet or suicide prevention in a mm-hmm. closet that we realize as you mentioned that it's a public health problem and for a public health problem to to go away or to to be addressed we have to have conversations mm-hmm. we have it, to be educated and,
1: and you know that's the interesting we need to have these conversations and yet I know that there is and one of our listeners here says you know ask the question isn't talking about it going to cause it and I think you've said no you know isn't talking about it um, normalizing it somehow.
0: You know, it's, uh, there, it's kind of two different levels of it. So one part of it is we want to have these conversations, but you don't want to present suicide as something that's normal or a common response to life stresses. Cause uh, going back to the example of bullying, um, you know, there's plenty of, of youth out there who get bullied, but never think about suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, so how we talk about it, how we, if we, you know, we don't want to oversimplify the causes of suicide. Um, you know, when we're talking about can media play a role, they can. their role can either be positive or negative. There's a lot of research out there. There's actually something coined as the Werther effect, which is from a sociologist here at uh, UCSD. No, um, great but, but the research shows that the ways that the media presents suicide can either help push someone towards uh-huh. help-seeking behavior if they do it responsibly and they, they show education information, you know, such as warning signs, risk factors, resources, um, or if they oversimplify or get into you know, somewhat graphic details about a specific suicide, that can actually increase suicide. So mm. it can go one or the other. The media can either play a role in preventing suicide, or unfortunately, if it's done irresponsibly, it can, the research shows, um, be an impetus for Um, increases in suicides.
1: Sounds like there should be a media training. Have you done that or thought about that, doing uh, a media training, you know, helping them understand how to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem?
0: Yeah, actually, about a year and a half ago here in San Diego, we did a media forum to bring in some experts in suicide prevention messaging, and we we had a great response. Um, The Society of Professional Journalism here in San Diego Mm -hmm. partnered with us for that, and we're going to be doing another event in the spring to continue to partner, because I think a lot of times we forget that members of the media are also members of our community and mm-hmm. and they very much are have been responsive and interested in anything that they can do to help and they realize that um, they can be part of the solution and so they've act- we've i've been very impressed with their response to, to our actions
1: that's terrific um you know community partners i think this is what all of this is about it takes a village you know kind of thing um and, and i i i have to bring up chip here san diego um Community Health Improvement Partners, which Correct. is help, is such a wonderful convener and, and I know is you're working with um, in this space also to addressing the public health needs of this community. And I don't know if you are aware, but Kristen Garrett, the CEO, has been on the show, and I'm sure we'll have her back another time. But I, I'm very heartened to think that there's such an organization bringing together community partners to address issues just like this.
0: Yeah, Chip has been – is phenomenal um, as, uh, as a clearinghouse for having the, the Suicide Prevention Council. So Community Health Improvement Partners works on a variety of subjects, but they happen to have the grant from the county for the Suicide Prevention Council. And through the leadership, through Kristen's support, um, I think we've really done some great things here in San Diego to work and further our suicide prevention efforts and, and also set an example around the state and around the nation for how much attention you need to pay to these subjects and, and some of the good that can come out of it.
1: Well, on that optimistic note, I am afraid we are out of time, but I appreciate your listening, everyone out there. And you can listen again if you'd like, as you can always download our interviews on onlinex.ucsd.edu interactive radio. Next month, we're bringing back Aaron Bizak, our, the first guest we've ever repeated, but he needs to tell us how it all turned out. You may recall Aaron had come to talk to us about Um, assisted living reform as a result of his grandmother's passing from injuries caused by her assisted living facility. Well, Aaron launched a package of reforms at the state level, and we're going to see how that package fared in the legislature. So if you have aging parents or a boomer considering residency and assisted living or at some time in your life where you just want to hear how it turned out, do tune into the next show. That's at 1130 on December 11th. And so until then, this is Leslie Bruce saying happy Thanksgiving.